Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. We are talking about screen time today. Okay, can I just start by saying the the phrase screen time was not a thing when Jacob was born. People did not use that phrase. And it's become like this dirty word almost. And I just find it very interesting. So just putting that out there. I'm just putting it out there that we have been doing this for like a bazillion years. And you would think we would have covered this topic in 10 different ways before. And we haven't. And I think a couple of reasons for that. Um, our kids' ages are very different from each other and also from some of you listening out there. And all of this has changed so much. It's also yes. a pretty loaded topic. And we like to be non-judgmental around here. We like to say how we do things in our family. Um, but this one is is just very loaded. And so I don't feel like we've landed on a way to do it that doesn't feel either like we're saying what we did is what you guys should be doing out there. Um, but also is helpful because you right. know you, you, we want to be helpful. So I think maybe, maybe we landed on something today. Maybe who knows? <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. So we're, we're <laughs> going to kind of talk about how this is, how this has changed over time. Like you have a 21 year old The even the screens that were around are so different now. And I, from when I started having kids 11 years ago, so we will talk Can about I share something please. When we first got married um, and had Jacob, we had a hand-me-down console TV. Oh my gosh. John's parents. <laughs> that was the first screen my son was exposed to. It was a on the floor wood, like wooden framed console TV and VHS tapes, right? And VHS tapes. I mean, things have have definitely changed. Um, But also, I think what we're (laughs) going to get into, hopefully that will be more practical for those of you listening who aren't watching a console TV and VHS tapes, um, is just like how our how our natural barometers evolved for like when things felt a little out of balance or too much and how we learned to pay attention to that over the years, because this is not a set it and forget it. Like, here's my Mm -hmm. screen time policy when my kids are one and three, like you are in waters, unfamiliar waters by the time they're six and eight and wanting to play video games at their friends' houses. It's just, it's an always evolving thing. So I'm excited about that. So me too. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. 
She heated it up for lunch one day and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini and asparagus. Listeners head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. All right, Megan, I have some questions for you. Okay. I thought it would be fun to talk about what were the hot topics that moms on the playground and in the playgroups were worried about? What were the articles popping up about? Because there's a lot of fear a lot of fear around this topic. There's a lot of breaking news. Like every week there's a different recommendation. Um, But take me back in time. What were the hot topics when you had little kids around screens? Well, I have to say, um, I feel like my kids, my oldest kids, there was a bit of a golden age. We watched a lot of PBS and I really liked some of the programming that Mm -hmm. was available, not just on PBS, um, but in particular, like I know it's dumb, but Teletubbies was a very soothing show to watch. <laughs> I believe you. I and didn't... I never minded having that on my house. Um, that was Sesame Street. There were a few shows in Sesame Street that I thought were great. And then uh, Nick, I believe, was Blue's Clues. And yeah. those were in the Steve days of Blue's Clues, which were the greatest days of Blue's <laughs> Clues and stuff like that. So they're really, oh, and like Zaboomafu was a great show. So there really was some good programming on. I think that what was starting to be discussed was the fact that Programming was starting to be made for kids younger and younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And that was when, at least when it got on my radar, um, that there was all this discussion going on around like when kids could have, quote, screen time, unquote, and look at a screen without like their brains exploding. And so like, I, I want to say Isaac was a baby when the AAP came up with their guideline of no screen time before two years old. Um, and at the time it felt really doable because I had little tiny ones. I did find out that it's much harder to pull something like that off when you have, you know, a house with four or five kids and some are older and you only have one living room or whatever it is. Like when you, when everyone is consuming content or consuming screens in the same area of the house, it becomes really hard to kind of stick to that guideline. But I think for me, it, it wasn't so much that the TV was on or at least with the conversations I was hearing it wasn't that the tv was on and a baby was in the room that that was the problem it was that video programs were coming out claiming to teach babies to read and like all of these things were happening and they were becoming like the the content was becoming baby focused it wasn't just that the tv was on I think that had been the case since tv was invented like you know in the 50s like entire families were living in 800 square foot houses and there was one TV and when the TV was on, the baby was probably seeing it, but the baby didn't care. It wasn't interesting to the baby. So the baby was doing other stuff. And the other thing that I would say was more when Owen and Will were little, like, you know, toddler preschool stations like Nick and Disney begin to mix a lot of preteen shows into Mm -hmm. their programming. And 
for me, it wasn't really easy to tell the age the show was kind of intended for because the shows might feature teenagers, but really like they were very smart. They knew that kids who were elementary school kids really wanted to like emulate bigger kids. So a lot of the programming featured teenagers, but was aimed at like eight year olds. Right. And those teenagers were sassy and dumb, kind of. And the shows were terrible. And then those kids became stars. Like those were the kids that like that was like the Disney breeding ground for pop stars and adult actors. So it it just created this like sludgy soup. I remember walking around my house muttering like junk TV. And like if I heard if I overheard a phrase I didn't like, I would be the one who'd come in the room and turn the channel or be like, this show is so dumb. The jokes are bad. Like I was so critical of the TV my kids watched. Probably I was kind of a bit of a drag, but I just hated it. Um, And when there was a show that I didn't hate, like I remember there was this one called The Witches of Waverly Place. I'll never forget this because the kids actually spoke to their parents. Like, first of all, there were parents in the show. Uh I've talked about this before, the absence of parents in a lot of these shows, like they don't exist or they're like always on vacation or like Mm -hmm. they're stationed overseas and the teenagers being cared for by their dumb older brother or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, That was iCarly. I couldn't stand iCarly. Anyway, I remember like it standing out when there was a show where there was like an involved mom and dad whose kids didn't sass them. Like Mm -hmm. that was like, it stood out. So those were kind of the big topics. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. And as you talk, I can, I can kind of tell where my, so I had my first baby in 2008 um, the baby Einstein, the actual, the lawsuit, which if I remember correctly, was mostly centered around the claim that these videos, they came out on DVDs. We got them yep. our first Christmas as parents. We got a set of DVDs and it wasn't that the, the content was actually bad. It was the claim that it was making babies smarter, which Smart. was right. proven not to be true. And that, and like you said, this whole idea of making videos for babies, I remember being in the hospital, new mom group. And there was one mom in there who actually had like a four-year-old. So it was, she was like this completely other creature because she was not a first time mom. She was a second time mom and she had a preschooler. And I remember her being just way more laid back about this idea that like she could put on a baby Einstein video just while she fixed the baby's lunch. And it wasn't that big a deal. And we were all sort of like shocked, but I think what was (laughs) new at the time was like you said, that there would even be programming that was specific for babies. Um, and I, I did, I read a really great book at that time called the case for make believe, which was more, it's more about the commercialization of media. It's not that media itself is bad, but that it's so designed to get kids to want to buy stuff. Yeah. Um, and this book would be completely dated now because it doesn't even include any of the streaming media that our kids all consume now. But at the time it was like you said, everything was geared toward getting kids into a system that wanted them to buy stuff. Um, and kind of become consumers. And so I remember kind of reading up about that, thinking about that a lot. Um, I also remember some news, like, uh, articles and stuff about the pace of shows like SpongeBob and Dora, Mm -hmm. SpongeBob in particular, which my kids never watched, but that they were so frenetic and fast paced. And someone did a study where they compared it to like Mr. Rogers and the, the, the frames per minute frames per second. Um, and that that was whatever it was doing. I don't even remember just making, making kids have a higher demand for fast paced stimulation and what that could potentially do. And now these ideas, I I think there's still some, some good data behind these ideas, but it's just funny because they're 10 years old. We know more, the, the media itself has evolved. So those are a couple like hot topics I remember. And then, yeah. And then, like you said, just the, what age is okay, how much is okay. And those things I don't think have changed. I think parents are still talking about that. You know, what's funny about that. I remember, and I know this was when Isaac was a baby. And I remember this because I brought it up at a play group and everyone looked at me like I had three heads but there was a story that came out about Sesame Street that kind of made the claim that Sesame Street, which, by the way, started in, I want to say 1967 or 69. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know my daughter or my sister was a baby when it came out. And they had their 40th. Their 40th was a pretty big deal. That would have been. So that was two years ago, right? Oh, so yeah. I think it was 67. Or maybe that so, would be 50. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That would be 50. Yeah. We're older than we think. Um, But the argument the story was making was that Sesame Street was like the first program that really for kids that that kind of like because if you've watched Sesame Street, it's all pieced together. There's like little bite sized snippets 
and they mix them up. So you might see the same snippet in a, an episode at the beginning and then a different episode in the middle. Like they've got their sort of shtick that they come back to again and again. And this argument, which I don't even necessarily agree with, is that Sesame Street sort of set the stage for kids to want to consume content that way and for their attention spans to get used to being fed these like short bits of material. And I was very confused by this. Here I am with like a two year old, a baby. I grew up on Sesame Street. To me, it was one of the good guys. And it was really I don't know. I found it like disheartening almost like here's something I thought I could count on. And this is why I think it's so important to look at the stuff in context, Mm -hmm. because all of these academic arguments, we could have them till the cows come home, right? Like, oh my gosh, I just said the cows come home. I think I just turned into my mother uh, for a second there <laughs> talking about Sesame Street. But like, what was the point? What was Sesame Street created to do? It was created because people knew that the creators knew there were children sitting in their living rooms watching TV because they didn't have a caregiver at home or they weren't learning. Like it was created to be a positive thing. And it was a positive thing. But like any positive thing can have some downsides and the way they were able to get little kids attention was by making the, sh- the programming engaging and, and maybe that meant doing some new things. So it's just like, it's always this yin and yang, I it, guess. It's totally the yin and yang. And we've already hit on it once with the baby Einstein, but it comes back to something that's always been really central for me, which is it's not whether the individual piece of media is going to rot your kid's brain or not. I think sometimes we focus on that either this show or this amount of hours to me it's a little more about the opportunity cost of sitting for a ton of time and consuming that and and then that's where like you get to decide as the mom if you need a day where your kids are on screens for six hours because you have the flu or you're throwing up with morning sickness like you get to decide. Like, I I think it, I think it makes it easier on parents when we decide that like, this is a tool and this is a, this is a thing that can help us out. I really don't like the shaming that happens with the the all or nothing thinking. Like if your kid watches any screens before two X will happen. And I think it's also, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I I was just gonna say, I'd much rather put the choice back in the family and, and treat it like we do everything else, like sugar, like sleep, like anything else, which is like, you find the media diet that works for you and your family. You can take in all of this research and information. Um, but you get to decide it's not a, it's not like a, if this, then that. And I think too, it's important to remember that keeping in context as well, like if the AAP comes out, the American Association or Academy Academy of Pediatrics, American Mm -hmm. Academy of Pediatrics. Yeah. If they come out with a sort of decree or a guideline or a standard, that's kind of based on almost like a worst case scenario. So they're not looking at like my kid happens to be in the room while I'm watching TV or I'm using it for this little bit of time so I can make dinner. They're thinking, you know, they have to kind of, they really have to come out with these guidelines that almost solve for every possibility. Like Mm -hmm. a baby might be sitting in a bouncy seat with an attached iPad literally all day. So like they have to almost come up with the most extreme version, hoping that people will at least follow it 60%. Well, yeah, that, and it's like, it's, I think sugar is another good um, comparison. If we, if our kids had zero sugar, would that be better than having moderate sugar? Probably from an empirical health standpoint, right? Probably. But can we raise healthy, well-rounded, balanced, happy kids with little to no long-term, you know, health issues with a moderate amount of sugar? I think I think we probably can. And I think screens are kind of the same. Like if zero is ideal, we just have to see that as like the ideal, but not the attainable reality. Right. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I was. And, ki- oh, and is it? I mean, there's there's something about a cookie every now and then. Yeah. Right? There's there's. <laughs> There's brain food and there's soul food. There's uh, getting things done. Like there's there's like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you're a doctor, everything looks like public health. Yeah. But that's not there's so many different lenses to look at things through. Yes. Agreed. Um, I was going to just ask if you remember, you've mentioned a couple, but I thought it would be helpful to talk about what were our kids consuming when they were little? I'll just I'll just throw it out there that between 2008 when I had my first baby in 2013, when I had my last baby, this idea of a tablet or a phone being a source of entertainment. You notice we haven't even talked about apps or phones yet because when we had our first babies, you didn't, there was nothing to hand them. It wasn't, I mean, I did have smartphones in the early days, but there wasn't much on it. I get, you could hand a phone over to your toddler and let them just hold it. And of course they wanted to do that and push some buttons. But this idea of streaming 
videos and being able to hand a phone over to a toddler while you're at a restaurant or waiting in a doctor's office. It really started to be a thing more when I had Violet, like a like a widespread thing. And I'll talk more about later kind of the decisions I made around that. But I just think it's interesting that we didn't, those were not decisions we had to make. We were talking about yeah. videos. Well, for me, it was DVDs, um, things recorded on the DVR. So like a, sh- a favorite show or something, a favorite PBS show. We had every Curious George um, saved on the DVR, but we would still put it on for the kids at, at the time we decided they, they weren't really watching just whatever, what was on at that time, but yours might've been yours probably were. Um, and then really Netflix and streaming had, has been more, more in their like preschool and later years, but not when I had really tiny ones. Yeah. I, okay. So I have had some kind of a cellular phone for a very long time since Jacob was really little. But again, it, you, I handed him the phone and he pressed the buttons. I just would lock it or turn it off and he would press buttons. There was nothing to do on it. Um, we probably didn't get our first tablet until after Clara was born, I'm going to say, or ish around there. So for us, it was VCR. Um, we had, we had some VHS tapes that, I mean, like we just watched over and over and over till they like fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, especially when Jacob was little every day turning on the, um, PBS at the same time so that we could do, we had to watch it when it was on mm-hmm. <laughs> very different. And then we got a DVD player around the time William was born. And this is funny to me. Um, I, the thing that I remember the most about when we switched from VCR to DVD was that, you know how every DVD has like a, a menu screen, mm-hmm. like a home and the music place. Mm-hmm. So like certain DVDs, like that's just like burned into my subconscious yes. is like the background. Like, so for me, um, Big uh, Blues Big Musical Movie was a movie that my kids, it's a fantastic movie, by the way. Ray Charles is in it. Okay. Yeah, I have not been able to find it on streaming anywhere, so I probably need to find buy the DVD. But it's uh, it had like this particularly catchy little screen and then Blue would come on and be like, bow, bow, and like it's still stuck in my head because it just plays on a loop. Yeah. And I'd be thinking to myself, gosh, I wish someone would turn that off. <laughs> but I'm busy. You know, I'm like doing the dishes or cooking or like working or whatever. And so you know how that mom brain part could kind of tune it out? Yep. But it was still there. So that was definitely a part of it. Um, I remember handing my kids a phone, pulling up a browser <laughs> before we had apps, going to a specific YouTube video and handing them my phone and letting them like watch a two minute YouTube video just to get me like, I don't know, through the checkout aisle at the grocery store. It wasn't easy. Like you really had to work at it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. What about you? Yeah. So actually pretty similar in the very early days. Um, But what I do remember, I remember our first long plane trip and our friends at Cool Mom Picks, who've been around forever, have always been great about doing uh, roundups of apps for kids. And this would have been 2011. Um, and looking at a list of good quality, I'm not going to say educational because I don't really care about the traditional edge quote unquote educational, but I do care about quality of the app. And I remember they had a great list and we downloaded some for a plane ride. And I think my kids were three. So only the three-year-olds, they were like three and one, but that was relatively new to have an entertainment app that was different than, you know, watch a show or, you know, here's a DVD or whatever. So, and that, and that has continued. We've, we've continued to use iPad apps as entertainment and kind of continue to try to, you know, look at the quality before getting them. But even that was three or four years into motherhood for me. So it's, it's just amazing how much it's changed. So it really has what I want to ask is what, and this is kind of the the million dollar question that I think our listeners care about is what did setting limits. And I put that in quotes look like to you during these little years, we've well established that the stuff was different, right? Like the pressures were different. The, the recommendations were different and the media itself was different, but what, when you had to set limits, what did that look like? Was it kind of intuitive? Did you, did you have times where you felt like, okay, we got to crack down. How did you know when your kid's screen time limit was kind of getting out of balance? Yeah, this is definitely something that has shifted a bit or well, did shift a bit over the years. So like when Jacob was born, I don't remember it being a thing. It was like he was this easygoing kid. We were very on the go. So when we were home, we had certain shows that we'd watch and then we turned it off and that was it. Like there wasn't really anything else for him to do. So it was not that big of a deal. But that changed pretty quickly. And then I started working from home and I was working a lot from home. And for a while I was taking college classes from home. So then it became like really more intuitive. Um with each addition of new ways for the kids to consume media, like 
there were times it started to feel like I was like kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Like I was losing grip on mm. it. Like there were there were more screens than I had hands or eyeballs to watch or rooms in the house. And that is one. I think that's a huge challenge for parents nowadays. When it's one thing when there's a TV in the living room, it's either on or off. Right. You know, but it's like, let's say you have a TV and there's a computer and a couple of iPads and then there's a couple of phones that they could be using and like all these different things. It's just easy to start kind of losing track. So um, routines have always helped me, but really things like the glassy eyed look, um, changing behavior. Like when I couldn't break the spell to get the kids to switch gears, like if I came in the room and said, okay, it's time for snack and I got to give me a second, give me a second, give me a second. And I couldn't pull them away from whatever it was. Or if I wanted to go do something that should have been more fun than looking at a screen and couldn't get them to break away, then I'd kind of be like, all right, something has to change. And for us, that might be like a total fast. It might be turning everything off for a week um, and just kind of hitting a reset button. Another thing, I remember this really clearly when I was on deadlines, I would be working and I would get this like the house is quiet. I'm maniacally <laughs> writing. I'm getting so much done. There's this rush that's happening. Like I'm staring at my screen. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And then suddenly I'm like, wait a second. It's been like an hour and I've been working and no one has interrupted me. <laughs> Something is wrong, right? Silence is not a good Silence thing. Silence is not a good thing. And so that was usually a good indicator that it was time to grab them and go someplace, head outside, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I really did rely, not, I didn't rely on screens to allow me to work. I just relied on me not having to, I don't know, watch every single moment with so many kids so much going on, kids of all different ages. It becomes difficult because I wanted some kids to have more freedom than others. Mm -hmm. But that meant I wanted, you know, like I didn't love the idea that a two-year-old might be sitting there watching over their brother's shoulder while he's playing games. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of shifting that had to happen and I had to just kind of actively manage it. I mean, there wasn't like one system I found did not keep things working in a way that worked for me. Do you remember a lot of mom, can I watch this mom? Can I, or was your approach more to kind of follow their lead and step in and course correct? If, if things got out of whack, like I'm just, I know a lot of moms deal with the whining and the pleading and the negotiating, but I'm wondering if maybe you didn't have to deal with that so much because you, you did have a more like uh responsive uh, uh, dynamic approach. Yeah. I think for me, like mom, can I, I'm just trying to think of like what that would have looked like. Five, can I watch a show? Can I watch a show? Yeah. I mean, the kids were, the kids were always good about asking. Um, I would say that as long as it was, it, it wasn't dinner time or a time I'd set aside as specifically non-screen time. So we did have like after dinner time typically was non-screen time. So like I didn't even call it screen time. It was just like TV off, computer off. Yeah. Um, as long as it wasn't one of those times, they might ask and I'd say yes. And then if I decided I didn't like the show, I would tell them to change it or whatever it was, you know, um, it was more, the more the mom can I were games I didn't understand. And I know we're going to talk more about games later. They would try to pass that stuff off on me all the time because they assumed as the mom, I would be clueless and not understand what the game was. And I'd let them do it. I think they pretty quickly realized that I was more likely to say no to a video game because it sounded scary. And I would be like, I don't know. I don't know anything about that game. So I'm going to have to look into it is mm -hmm. what I would say. Mm -hmm. And then that they, they slowly did realize that was kind of a no because mm -hmm. I was never going to look into it because I didn't care. Right. And I didn't want them to play it to begin with. Right. Um, there were certain games that I had watched them play that, that I understood enough that they got a pass on. Mm -hmm. And those were the games they were allowed to play. So I don't know. It's, it's changed. I remember having like times when we had a computer, one computer in the living room and everyone had a schedule and they were allowed to use it for 45 minutes. And then they had to move on to the next kid. Um, that worked for a while. Then that stopped working when some kids had needed more time on the computer for schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And I remember a time when it worked to give them an hour that they could play video games. And then that didn't work because one of them, now there were three of them or four of them old enough to play video games. And one hour wasn't long enough because they couldn't all play at once. Like mm -hmm. those things have just constantly, constantly shifted. Yeah. And I've just tried to keep up the best I can. No, yeah. I, th I think that's and keep an eye on it. I think that's really helpful. And I also just empathize, like you said, with the, the houses now that have enough different devices for every kid, even in a large kid family to choose their own adventure when it comes to screen entertainment. Cause I think that's yeah. so much harder. You're so right. Then it when it was, can we put the TV on or no, 
that's such a simpler answer than who's over here watching YouTube and who's in the back room gaming and who like, yeah. it's just a lot. It's a lot. That- I feel pretty fortunate that we managed to be ahead. Like right now my kids have um, a TV in their bedroom because our house is teeny. And I frankly don't want a video game system in my living room. Mm-hmm. There's just not room for it. I don't want to look at it. But that has not always been the case. And I was able to keep that at bay for a very long time. Yeah. When the young, the you know, youngest yeah. of those is 13. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not surprisingly, when it comes to what did setting limits look like for us, I was pretty much the opposite. Um, so I, I was much more systematic about it. My middle kid has always had a really hard time going with the flow and making transitions and screens were like the worst example of it. I mean, he had, he had trouble with all kinds of transitions. Like we're going to go do this. No meltdowns, Mm -hmm. but screens made everything worse. And so I think I started out a little bit more relaxed with Allegra, but by the time I had two kids, we just landed on zero screens during the week, Monday through Friday period. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of people out there thinking that sounds super extreme, but it was just easier for my brain. And it was really easy for easier for my kids because they, they didn't even think to ask. And that included any kind of iPad game, any kind of video watching, any kind of TV. Um, when I made an exception, it was usually if somebody was sick or something. I mean, it was, it was like a huge party for them and it was a huge break for me. So the exceptions were pretty few and far between, but I always knew I had that in my back pocket and it was magic because if a baby was sick or I'd been up all night or whatever, then it just felt, it worked so well. They would sit there and stare at a movie for two and a half hours because they were right. so They're deprived. like, oh, we never get to yeah. do this. Yeah. So, so we had nothing Monday through Friday and that has really stayed at, at six, nine and 11. Um, in terms of like using screens for just diversion and entertainment, we're still pretty much zero during the week. And I really like it. It's just so, it's so simple. Um, I don't think that's crazy at all. Honestly, when I do a reset, that's kind of how it looks. Um, like we're just not going to do any screens for a week. And but honestly, by the time they get home from school, do their homework, have dinner, do chores and sit and talk to you. There's not much time yeah. for screens. It does take away from other things, which is why, like, I think sometimes I'll just kind of let it go for a while. And then yeah. it's usually someone makes the mistake of not coming to the dinner table when they're <laughs> called. Like they, they know they blow it too. But I'll be like, uh, okay, I need you guys to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, wait a minute, mom. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean? Oh, wait a minute. What are you doing? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, we need to reset. So I don't think, I mean, there's something to be said for not having to police something. Yeah. And and I think that's just where it landed with me. Another thing I was pretty restrictive about that I actually am I'm glad is I never got into the thing of handing the toddler a phone when we were waiting in a restaurant or a doctor's office or the checkout line. And I'm, I didn't do it for any high, moral high ground reasons. I think it helped that the first couple of years, there just wasn't anything on the phone to do. It wasn't a thing. Right. So I, I got used to it. Um, and I, I also, I mean, there's some privilege in there. I had the privilege to like set my work and my chores and my grocery shopping life set up in a way that I could get most things done when the baby was napping or while they had a, while they were playing. And so I fully recognize that it is sometimes survival to be able to hand over a phone to a toddler. I also didn't do a lot of extracurricular activities with my older kids. And that was kind of out of choice, but that's another time when I, I don't know how you get through like hours and hours of somebody's dance rehearsal with an 18 month old. I don't know right. how you would do that. So I guess all that to say no judgment, but it was kind of nice. It, the nice part about it was they never asked for my phone or they never asked to bring a tablet anywhere and they still don't. So they do have time with their tablets on the weekends, but they don't, they don't see them as an option for boredom when we're out waiting somewhere. Yeah. And I am that mom who will pull out a chapter book and read to Violet in the Taekwondo waiting room. And then she's like looking around and everybody's got their tablets and that's totally yeah. fine. But, um, I, it just kind of was accidental, but it, it has kept things really nice and simple. You know, it's funny for me I, because we really eased into the whole, you can even do that with a tablet or a phone. It wasn't on my radar right. that was possible. Um, and then my boys were so busy, like they would be playing, you know, like the TV would be on, but they'd be playing when the yeah. TV was on and maybe it'd be on in the background or whatever, when they were little. Clara came along and right around the time Clara came along, I think was when we had just gotten a tablet. And I remember throwing a Halloween party when she was 18 months old. And while I was getting ready, I put her in my bed and I handed her a tablet that had Blue's Clues playing on it. Mm-hmm. 
And then like three hours later, <laughs> I realized I had not heard from Clara and I like panicked. I run in there and she's just sitting there watching TV. And I was like, oh, babies do this. Like none of my boys would have ever done that. So yeah. it was just a very like I can I think had <laughs> had I known I could abuse it, I could have abused it more with her. I'm just I feel fortunate that it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Like it wasn't even an option with most of my kids. Um, it just, it just adds one more thing to have to think about yep. and it makes it seem like it's taking things off your plate. But I lived through all those years with restaurant meals and yep. all those other things. And we didn't have it. We just figured out other ways, I guess, by necessity. And I, I want to say too, that if you, I think we're going to talk about this more, but when you feel like you've gone over the edge and you need a reset, it is amazing. Kids will, it, it's painful at first, like any kind of a detox, but you can go back. So if you yeah. like, if you don't like the amount that the tablets come out or, or something you can, this is not like you have, it seems like the kids won't stand for it. I think that's what we fear. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, he's used to having this show before dinner every night and we've set that pattern and now I want to change things, but they're, they're, they can change. So. Yeah, they can. And, and you are in charge. You're the boss. <laughs> you are the boss. So before we take our break, I was just going to say the screens we do consume regularly is we've always done a Friday night and a Saturday night movie. And it has never changed for like eight years. They rotate whose choice it is in the summer. We had a Sunday night movie, the person whose choice it is chooses and you can opt out, but that's the, that's the movie that is going on. And, um, and then they get an hour each, they get an hour on the tablet Saturday and Sunday, and we cut it off at an hour because that is what has worked and it hasn't changed in years. So mm. there you go. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, now we're getting into what I see is a really positive part about how screens work in at least our family right now. But I was wondering, I wanted to ask you this, Megan, do you remember kind of the shift happening where screens were like a thing that you could use to get, like you said, with Clara to get her to sit still and to get yourself an hour to work and shifting to where this is now something you can enjoy as a family or like watching movies together oh, and yeah. all that. I mean, I remember yeah. pretty. Well, it's for us, it's happened gradually, probably because of the number of kids in our house and the age range. So there's, you know, we all get into to TV series together. Um, but finally, 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 all the kids can all watch the same thing. That's mm -hmm. probably only been the case for like the last year or two. Like 
where we can find things to watch that the oldest and the youngest will enjoy. And it used to be like, we'd, we were, we did lots of family movie nights and it would be like, make the popcorn, put the movie in. And then it's like me, Jake, Isaac, and Will watching it. And Owen and Clara are whining and like, you know, asking if we can turn something else on yep. or whatever. So like, it wasn't that fun, but now, now it's, we all kind of like a lot of the same stuff. And sometimes Clara and I will try to have, you know, just like a movie night and the boys will wander out of their rooms and just join us. So like a few weeks ago, I thought just Claire and I would be interested in watching Mamma Mia. So we started on my bed on my computer and then I wound up with Clara plus three lanky teenagers Aww. in my bed watching Mamma Mia. And I was like, gosh, guys, I could have put this on in the other room, but it was actually really fun. So it's really fun. Yeah. I think and for, that's like a fun little unexpected thing that I didn't see coming, you know? Yeah. And I think this has been a really pleasant surprise because I was so restrictive and kind of saw it as like only when necessarily, you know, like pull yeah. cord when in case of emergency or whatever. And so to see it as this thing we could opt into as a family has been really fun. Um, I, when you describe the younger ones kind of whining, I think we, we still run into family movie nights like that. Something's too scary or too boring for Violet, but it's getting so much less. I would say all three can watch a PG movie, no problem. And we've had a lot of fun recently going back into some classics. Karate Kid, if you have not watched Karate Kid as a family, if you have mm -hmm. kids of school age, it I think it holds up really well. I mean, oh, it's it really so does. dated, but it's it's really good. Um, I remember being a little bit afraid of like the fighting parts when I was a kid, but I think I was younger than, I was pretty young when I saw it. So I don't know. For us, Six and Up works for Karate Kid. We've watched... Um, Mrs. Doubtfire, they thought was really oh. funny. It says drive-by fruiting. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched that with the kids not too long ago. It's, I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> Swiss Family Robinson, which is an old, old yeah, movie. It's like though. from the early 50s. They loved that. Um, we also have, even though we're no screens Monday through Friday, we've started watching a show together. So we're not really anymore because we've started a family show one weeknight when we don't have activities and we rotate through, but it's usually like a reality competition show. So we'll watch like The Amazing Race. Um, great British baking show, one where we're watching it week to week and we're, you know, it's like 10 episodes or something in a season. So that's been really fun. Um, on the game and iPad side, I totally am not involved at all, but I will say Brian has a, he has a passing interest in that kind of entertainment. Um, we don't have a video game console. I know you're going to talk about that, but Brian likes to find out about new fun gaming apps and he's really good about looking into them or the kids will come home and ask if they can get them and he'll look at them. So it, it has been a more collaborative process um, to figure out which apps and games are good. So yeah, I th it's been very enjoyable to now see this kind of entertainment as something we can do as a family and something that we can don't know positively influence our kids not just by limiting them but but by introducing great movies and media yeah. so agreed um yeah are we gonna talk about video games now uh, are you ready <laughs> yeah um okay so i mean i really just put in our outline we haven't talked about video games yet and i want you to talk about it um and i just and then i put ug <laughs> can i just say ug <laughs> I think this is like, this is the thing, right? Your boys were at one point you had four boys who were like all different boy ages, right? Like yes. eight, 10, 14, 16. Like yep. I have a eight, almost nine, most of his friends. And, and it's not exclusive to boys, of course, but I, I think it is more Tends commonly the obsession. Thing, yeah. yeah. And um, most of Reed's friends have a PlayStation or a Nintendo switch and he doesn't. And every birthday and Christmas it comes up and we just, we don't, we never say like, no, never. We just sort of put it off for one more. His birthday's in June. Christmas is in December. We just kind of like yeah. push it off. So I would love to hear how this evolved for you. And if you being on the other end of it now, kind of, um, what if you have any wise thoughts? So, so this is, I mean, this is such a common issue. I think it's so common for moms to either be suspicious of video games or just not care. And for dads to really want to have that experience with their kids because they remember playing video games or are still video game enthusiasts, right? Mm -hmm. So, this is a very common point of tension. Um, I, if I could go back in time, I would have delayed it further. I think I really deferred to, to John on this because I didn't really have any experience. Like I didn't, I knew that it was not my thing and that it was like never going to be my thing. And we didn't get an Xbox or anything like that when they were tiny. But the problem is by the time, you know, Jacob was dying for one, he was like 10 or 12. 
But that meant the other ones were babies. Yeah. Like little, little kids. So we were able to kind of hold off with the older ones, but then the younger ones got exposed at a much younger age. Um, and I, for me, it was just the sticking point for years. I was grumpy about it all the time. I didn't understand it. I wasn't interested. I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want them. <laughs> I didn't want them to ask about it. It's like, and I'm sure I was pretty unfair, honestly, a lot of the time, because to me, it was so dumb and such a waste of time. And like a world that I did not want to occupy that honestly, them asking me for it would make me sometimes like irate. Like there was a lot, there was a lot to unpack there, including some marital issues, to mm -hmm. be honest. So like, I think that I am far from alone yeah. on that, on video games being sometimes a marital issue, mm -hmm. sometimes a parenting issue, and those things can get very conflated. So I guess what I would say now is the boys have really developed the ability to self-regulate. And I now see how much of their social life does take place via video games. Their friends are on at home and they're communicating with their friends and playing with their friends while they're at home. And and they don't play all the time. And it's not like they're staying up late playing and they're not missing school because they didn't get enough sleep and they're still getting their homework done and they're still going outside and doing their chores and doing family time and stuff like that. But there was definitely a phase. And I would say it was between about eight and 12, depending on the kid, not every kid, um, where I wanted to regularly take the thing by the cord, light it on, smash fire. It on yeah. light it on fire, smash it on the sidewalk, blah, blah, blah. And I, I guess if I could go back in time, I would probably do two things. I would probably create more like limits that I could control without having to think about it. Yeah. So like maybe like literally the Xbox would live in a different place and would only get to be accessed at the times. So I never had to worry about kids sneaking it or whatever, like just so that it was off the table, but then I would have relaxed about it and just let my kids enjoy it and not be so kind of nasty about it. I just think that I wasn't very, I wasn't very understanding about it a lot of the time. And so I don't know, like, it, it, there's no good way. And now that, you know, now that I'm not married and, and I don't have to like, this house is mine. I could say no video games, but it's like my youngest boy is 13. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to do that now. Yeah. It's just now it's like, and it's not an issue anymore. Yeah. Now what's interesting is it's, it's a non-issue. And when yeah. it becomes an issue, like I said, and I say, guys, we're just not gonna play video games for a while. They're all like, Oh, okay. So it's kind of like, I missed the opportunity. Yeah. Well, to, you, you went through the hardest part and now there's no way to make that unhard and it's exactly. not hard anymore <laughs> exactly 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 and it would be dumb for me to now start cracking down to like write the wrong that i like write something that i don't feel like i did perfectly five years ago yeah. so anyway Do you you mentioned the difference in the boys i mean four different boys growing up gaming and, and having their friends on there um were there ones where you saw it play out with either social you know, friend dynamics that weren't so good. Or also I have another question on top of that is like, oh. what happens when one kid gets grounded or their parents are more strict and another kid is literally on it from noon to midnight every day? Like, do they just kind of figure that out? Like, oh, so-and-so's not, not, cause that's how they communicate with each other. Right. Yeah, it is. But like, but they're not that. So they're, I mean, at least the way I very rarely will my kid come to me and say, so-and-so is going to be on, it has, it happens every now and then, but so-and-so is going to be on from four to five. So can I please get on from four to five? Even if that's not the time they can usually be on. I usually have an hour set aside that I kind of, it's like free for all game time, whatever. Um, and sometimes I'll be asked for us to make a special exception mm -hmm. to play with this one specific kid, but usually it's kind of free for all. Like whoever happens to be honest who you play with. Okay. So if someone's grounded, they're out of luck. They just aren't, they're just not there. They're just not there. Um, at least in the way that it works with ours. And I will say, yes. Okay. So some things that I have witnessed, William, as not surprisingly, he told me <laughs> the other day, this is so funny. He's like, I'm not, I'm only a, a mediocre video game player. He's like, but I'm usually the funniest one. <laughs> so he's like, I kind of double down on that. And I was like, okay. So for him, video game time was always just fun time. It was really socializing and he had a joystick in his hand. Right. So that for if there was problems with him, it was because this I didn't like what I was hearing the other boys saying, or mm -hmm. I didn't like what I heard him saying to the other boys mm -hmm. while he was playing. It was much more the social stuff. Like they were sometimes nasty and mean to each other. And there was a lot of jockeying for social stature. And sometimes I would have to like say, I don't want you playing with that. I don't want to hear that kid's voice in my house anymore. There were there were kids I definitely put on the like do not play with list because okay, this is a dumb question. How is yeah. the vo the kids voices coming through? Like they are talking, they're talking. And if, if Will didn't have headphones on, okay. which I didn't used to allow, 
because I wanted to hear what was being said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they, they use headphones now. I don't really care anymore because they were annoying their brothers. I mean, like it, it got to the point where I could tell just by what was being said. I didn't need to hear the other person. Yes. You know what I mean? You heard the one, uh, the one, side I heard of the, the one, ha- the one side of the conversation and that was enough. And I realized also that like they were driving each other nuts because some of them like, Oh, and we'll go, dude, dude, dude. And then his friend would be like, dude, dude, bruh, bruh, bruh. And so it was like making everyone in the house nuts. So they can wear headphones now. Um, but yes, I would literally hear conversations happening in my living room between kids that were not in my house. They were, it was coming out of the TV. So that was with Will. It was more about like, I don't like that boy. He's nasty. I don't like the language he uses. I don't like the way you guys treat each other. This has to end. With Owen, because Owen is so winning focused. He's so Mm. strategic. He wants to win. It would be more because he would just obsess. Like he would fall into the game and then not be like, but I can't shut it off because, you know, I'll die. I'll die if I leave the game right now. And I'm like, guess guess who doesn't care? (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I guess... I don't know what the the point is. Oh, and Owen and Will or Jacob and Isaac, both of them. I just feel like it was a different time. Like they they could take it or leave it. They like to play with their brothers every now and then they'll play with a friend. But they've just always been sort of whatever mm-hmm. about video games. Like mm-hmm. the, if they're in front of them, they'll play them. If they're not, they're not. They, they've not been as obsessive about them for different reasons as Will and Owen have been mostly Owen. I think that's really important, actually, for moms of younger kids to hear, because going back to the fear, the fear mongering that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the these games, many of them are designed to be really addictive. And I think addictive behaviors around screens is a real thing. And I, I have yeah. a kid who I really have seen that with, which is part of why I've really been restricted from the beginning. But it's also really important to hear that not every kid goes to like full blown right. addiction at first exposure um, and that it's possible to, to watch your kids and kind of backpedal as needed um, because we don't often see that. We don't hear those stories. We only hear yeah. about how the negative effects of, of true addiction. And I think sometimes, and like, you know, would it be better if I didn't have a game system in my house at all? Possibly. But I've also seen super screen addicted kids or like, you know, the kids who have the potential to be mm-hmm. very screen addicted or particular in particular strategy or um, certain kinds of games where they get really into that, like the massively multiplayer online role-playing games, like where if you leave, Mm -hmm. like all, not only do you die, but like your friends could die. Like, it's not just now you, it's like they're creating, this world has been created in which the whole point is to keep you in there as much as you can be there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, I think, there's you also see kids who don't have those systems at home figuring out workarounds to get to play, mm-hmm. you know, at other people's houses or becoming almost like they have like the shakes about it, like the DTs all the time. Yeah. So there's it's a certain personality type. Owen's got it for sure. I do think as he gets older, he's able to more manage it. I think with experience, he's kind of realized like, yeah, everyone was playing Fortnite three months ago. No one, no one really cares about Fortnite in his group anymore. Like everything kind of comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's 13 now. It took him, he had to, the the preteen years were rough. Yeah. Yeah. So, (sighs) well, I do, I do have some resources to recommend since this is something that I personally kind of think a lot about. Um, so I just like, as a preface to my resources, I'm just going to say that a lot of what I think about when I think about screens is not that screens are bad. It's that what else do I want my kids to be doing and how else do I want our family dynamics to run? And in a lot of cases, the, the screens are just sort of taking up space that I'd rather fill with other things. Does that make sense? So like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm keeping something toxic away as much as I feel like I'm choosing actively what I want to fill our time. And I think that's, I, I think that's an important distinction because when I do let my kids watch and play stuff, I'm not super restrictive about what it is. Like it doesn't right. have to be super educational because it's, it's entertainment. Okay. So on that note, there's a book called the importance of being little, which really has nothing to do with screen time, but it was really influential uh, to me. And I would recommend that book to anybody who's interested in like toddlers, preschoolers, and early elementary. It's actually written by an educator. So it's, it's not about screens, but I, it still influenced my thinking about this. Um, for parents of older kids, there is a Facebook group called OutTech Your Kids, and it's run by 
our friends, Kristen and Liz from Cool Mom Tech and Cool Mom Picks. Um, I am totally a lurker there because the questions and the things that come up are all mostly for middle and high school. It's stuff about phone use and social media. And but the, what I like about it is it's real parents asking real questions and other real parents weighing in with really smart and it's very non-judgmental. So Kristen and Liz will shut it down if it becomes shaming um, or, or just unhealthy. So it's, it's real parents looking for real solutions around stuff that my kids aren't really into yet, but I feel like just by lurking, I learned so much. So I will link that up. I think it's fascinating. Even if your kids are younger, I think it's really interesting to, to know what the things are that are happening right now. Like now how kids are using Google docs in class to, chat with each other that's like that blew up and now that's a thing and like I don't know I, I feel like if kids you have, will always figure it out right yeah. like they're always going to be a couple steps ahead of us so we can't have the hubris to think that we know more than they do because we'll, we'll never know more than we than they do right no but uh, but also like yeah it's but we still have to keep on top of it we it's have like to, that yeah yes I don't know. exactly and then my final recommendation which is so so good is Devorah Heitner uh, was a guest on our show I'll link to the interview but her book is called Screenwise. it's the most non-fear-based and positive thing I have read on this. I would recommend it for anybody from elementary school on up. Um, but she has really, really good thoughts about not, not limiting screens after a certain age. I think in the, in the little tiny years, there's a certain amount of like, okay, we're just going to try and limit this as much as we can given the circumstances. But after that, she's a big fan of doing stuff with your kids, Mm. mentoring them, even letting them get online much younger than you would think, but, but doing it in a way where you can have conversations about it. Anyway, it's a great, great book um, and a great interview. So I will link up those three in the show notes. Um, you know what? Can I add one more? Yeah, one please. More I'm thing? sorry. I didn't mean to no, steamroll okay. over as if you don't no, no. have resources. <laughs> no, I don't have any resources. But when you were, I have no resources, Sarah. Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what re- what occurred to me, I, I think I talked a lot about the negatives of how hard it is to manage things like screens and things like that in a larger family. Um, but I want to point out a positive okay. before we, before we end, just because I know there's a lot of people out there listening who also have bigger families and it can feel, it can feel like it really gets away from you and you don't have control. The nice thing is it, you sort of don't have to have as much control. Like when I think about how the lessons that my younger kids have learned from their older brothers, like for example, Owen's propensity to rage quit. <laughs> yes. He's a rage quitter because he doesn't like to lose because he, well, cause he's a nerd, but <laughs> he has really come a very long way in managing that behavior because if it was me, I wouldn't want to be in the room at all when he's playing. Like I would avoid myself from it for like not even play it or, or like, sorry, not even like listen or I wouldn't let him play at all. So like he wouldn't get the opportunity to learn that nobody likes it when you're halfway into a game and then you quit because it's not going your way or when you're not mindful of the fact that people around you don't like it when you go, bruh, 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 (laughs) dude, like, you know, all those things, like they've learned lessons from having older siblings. So the older siblings expose them to things sooner, but also teach them lessons. Yeah. It's the pack. It's like the social norms that come from a pack, right? Like you don't, you don't do certain things because this is how it's done. And especially, yes, I I love that. That's such a good It takes a little bit of the pressure off parents throw that out there all right we are going <laughs> to wrap up and you guys know we usually do this cue it up segment where we recommend often a show from our own archives for you to listen to next but for the next few weeks we want to tell you about some different podcasts out there that we think you might like that are not from our own show so the one that we are going to recommend that you cue up this week is called didn't i just feed you which is such a good I love it. name for a podcast hosted by stacy billis and megan Splawn. they are both professional cooks food writers and career food mamas they both have two kids and every week in their episodes they get real about feeding your family kids tweens and teens they have great episodes like how to turn nachos into a family dinner the magic of meatballs Um, they also bring on great expert guests and also just real moms to help make this process of cooking for our families easier more delicious maybe even fun so you guys can check out didn't i just feed you wherever you get your podcasts they're also at didn't i just feed you.com and listen all the way to the end of our show today and you'll hear a little bit more about their show in their own words so go check it out All right, Megan, we are going to wrap for reals and we will be back with you guys on Sunday with a new More Than Mom episode. And thanks, Megan. This was fun. Talk to you later. Hey, guys, this is Stacey and Megan. If you're loving this podcast, we think you'll also love our show, Didn't I Just Feed You?, 
a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for you parents who hate to cook. Stacy and I are both professional food writers and recipe developers who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because we're also very busy working moms. Sometimes we even talk about how to feed ourselves. Imagine that. From how to turn nachos into a family dinner to the magic of meatballs, solving the after-school snack problem to reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once, we chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms. They're real experts. We are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit fun. Find us as Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your favorite podcast, or subscribe wherever you're listening right now. You can also find us as Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram and Facebook too. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Megan, you know what I love about our partner, The Essential Calendar? I love the product so much, of course, but I also love that it comes from a small business founded by two moms. Right, just like us. Listeners, if you're drowning in details right now, like summer camps, travel plans, end of school year mayhem, give yourself the gift of The Essential Calendar, a seasonal at-a-glance poster-sized calendar for your wall. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.